You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am back today with another X's and O's deep dive as Scheme Theme Month marches on here through the month of June. And with the first two episodes in this series, we went full on Georgia Scheme Talk because I know if you're listening to this podcast, a Georgia-centric college football podcast, that's what you're here for, right? So we went full on Georgia-centric stuff for the first two episodes. But for today's Scheme Theme episode, we're going to branch out just a little bit. We're going to be covering a Georgia-adjacent topic that is specific to one of our opponents on our 2022 schedule, that being the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs. As you all know, Mike Leach, the pirate himself, is the head coach at Mississippi State, and he just so happens to be one of the legitimately true founding fathers of the air raid offense. So today on the show, I want to really dive into exactly what the air raid offense is, and I want to do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I really do think there's just a lot of general confusion and misunderstanding regarding like what the air raid offense actually is. You know, I still today, and we haven't gotten to the 2022 season yet, but as recently as the 2021 season, I still hear broadcasters, people who are supposed to be the experts of this. You hear talking heads, national talking heads, guys actually calling these games who are supposed to ostensibly know what they're talking about, but they're still calling teams quote-unquote air raid offenses, and those offenses couldn't be further from air raid offenses. So there's just a general misconception out there on what that actually means. I think like the conclusion I've come to is I think a lot of people out there just think when you hear air raid, that just means you throw the ball a lot. So if you throw the ball a lot, like 50 times a game, then you must be an air raid offense. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, sure, it, it, it's fair to say air raid offenses do throw the ball a lot, but just because you throw the ball a lot does not necessarily mean you are a true air raid offense. So I just want to clear up that misconception. And then number two, even though a team might not be a full-on air raid offense, and this is where there's some gray area here, even though a team might not be like a true legitimate Mississippi State version of the air raid offense, what's happened over the past 20 years or so 
is those principles, those air raid principles, they just permeated offenses all across the landscape of college football. I mean, I would honestly venture to say that just about every team that's not a triple option team runs something in their offense that has its origins in the air raid system. And that includes us. And I know that sounds blasphemous to those of you who regard the air raid as some sort of gimmick offense that we would never deign to run, but it's just reality. We do have air raid concepts built into what we do with Todd Munkin's offense. And today on the show, since we are a Georgia podcast, first and foremost, not only do I want to give you a, a really good grasp of what the air raid offense actually is and what it means when a team is an air raid offense, but I also want to highlight some of the ways in which Todd Munkin, our offensive coordinator, has incorporated air raid concepts into his offense, things that you see out there every Saturday from the Georgia offense. And then number three, I mean, Mississippi State, they're on the schedule this year, right? And they just so happen to run probably the purest air raid system left in college football. So I want to give you guys an early primer on how they are going to go about trying to attack us when we play them in November. And this is not the first time that I've talked about the air raid system on this show. We did this a couple years ago. At least we we kind of like dipped our toe into what the air raid offense was. But I want to go a little bit more in depth with it today. And I also want to, again, highlight some of the ways that we use air raid principles within, within our offense. And we've picked up a lot of new listeners over the past year or so that have probably never heard me talk about the air raid. So I want to make sure that you guys get a feel for that as well. So yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Let's get right into it. And I want to start by saying that I think you can really make the argument that of all the offensive innovations of this great offensive evolution of the past 20 or so-ish years, the air raid might well be the greatest and most important of them all. I think its impact has, like I said at the outset, kind of reverberated all across college football to the point that, again, nearly every non-triple option offense has incorporated air raid principles into their schemes in some way, shape, or form. At least they have plays that have origins in the air raid scheme. So I mentioned earlier that I think some people kind of view the air raid offense as a gimmick and I kind of laugh when I hear people say that because if it's a gimmick, if that's what the air raid offense is, if that's what the offense that Mike Leach runs at Mississippi State actually is, then to me, that means that basically every other offense across the country is a gimmick because that's what people do. Like when, when a team has like trouble stopping something, their fans rationalize it and they say, oh, well, that's a gimmick offense. And, and I include us in this. I include myself in this. You know, I did it for years with Tech. Every time we would play Tech, you know, and we I, I hate to even like, think about it, but we did lose to Tech a couple times with Paul Johnson as their coach. And, you know, we would all kind of rationalize that because like, Tech's not better than us. How can Tech beat us? And we'd say, oh, only because they run that stupid gimmick offense. So I'm as guilty of this as the next guy. I'm not going to absolve myself from this. That's what fans do. Like, we all do this. All fan bases try to rationalize their losses. Very few fan bases just step up to the plate and say, oh, yeah, they just kicked our butt. They just killed us. Like, they're just better than us. That doesn't happen all that often. Like, Alabama, the national championship, right? They, I mean, their fans just don't have it within them 
to just shake our hand and say, Georgia, you're the better team. Good job, guys. That day, that year, you were the better team. No, they try rationalizing. Well, you know, if it wasn't for the two receivers out there, like we totally would have won that game. That's just what fans do. But this whole idea of rationalizing your issue stopping the air raid offense by calling it a gimmick, I've just never really understood the notion of a gimmick offense. Like what makes something a quote unquote gimmick? Because it's new? Like, is that make it gimmicky? Uh, because it's different than what like the other top teams do? Is that what makes it a gimmick? Because it doesn't play by like some sort of unwritten rules and traditions that football powers throughout the years have established? Is that what makes it gimmicky? I just don't buy that. I just don't think that really makes any sense. Because, you know, guys like Mike Leach and Hal Mummy, like the true forerunners of the Air Raid offense, they didn't really care what the keepers of college football purity thought. They just kept doing their thing and putting up massive numbers all over the field. And as air raid offenses kept putting up those crooked numbers on even the best and most talented defenses, think about like Oklahoma years ago against Alabama, right? Was it the Sugar Bowl? One of those New Year's Six Bowls? When that was happening to the best defenses and the best defensive coaches and the most talented defenses, all of a sudden the attitude regarding the air raid started to shift. All those doubters, those naysayers that used to call it a gimmick offense, like Nick Saban once upon a time, right? He was hesitant to start using some of those principles, but they became believers. It became, well, if you can't beat them, join them, right? That's what teams have done throughout the country. They saw what guys like Mike Leach and Dana Holgerson and Cliff Kingsbury, maybe to a lesser degree, were doing with lesser talent. I mean, go back to Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel. Kevin Sumlin is an air raid guy at heart. That's the tree he comes from. They were running air raid when they beat Alabama with Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel might have just been one of the first true like dual threat guys to operate the air raid system. And so head coaches like Nick Saban across the country who had these really talented teams that recruit the best recruiting classes year in, year out, the best talent. They're looking at what's happening to them and watching what these air raid offenses are doing to their super talented defenses. And they're like, wait a minute. We've got significantly more talent than those guys do. So if they're having this amount of success against our super talented defense running those offensive plays, what if we used our super talented offensive players and ran the same things? Well, then we would be putting up even bigger numbers than what they are putting up. And yeah, you start to see that, right? Now the air raid principles, those concepts have proliferated throughout every level of football. And that includes the NFL now. Cliff Kingsbury, and a guy who used to run the air raid in college as a quarterback, who coached an air raid system as a coach in the Power Five, is now in the NFL as one of the 32 head coaches in the National Football League running a version of the air raid offense with the Arizona Cardinals. Almost every single offense you watch on Saturdays, including the Georgia Bulldogs, has been influenced by some degree by the air raid offense. And that's why I say it might be the most important of all these offensive innovations over the past 20 or so years, because everyone's doing it now. Maybe not purely air raid, but some version of the air raid, everyone's doing it, or at least running some of their plays. And I think I've mentioned this before, maybe a couple years ago. I think so. I think I did. So if if I haven't, if you're new to the show, I'll mention it again. But about five or six years ago now, I want to say, maybe a little bit longer, but about, but about five or six years ago, 
an author that I really liked, a guy named S.C. Gwynn. He's written a couple of books. He's written a book called Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanche Native American tribe, uh, Rebel Yell, which is about Stonewall Jackson, written some really good stuff. Well, he wrote a history of the air raid offense, and it was called The Perfect Pass. And it was a legitimate history book, guys. Like, this is not just some bozo out there who has a fascination with Mike Leach. Like, no, this is a guy who is an actual historian. So what he does for a living. He researches these things. He writes these books. And it was a dual history of former Valdosta State and Kentucky head coach Hal Mummy. Some of you might remember that name. Some of you maybe not so much. But Hal Mummy and the air raid system were the focus of this book. And uh, it was fascinating. It was chock full of characters that all of you would recognize. Guys like Mike Leach, Dana Holgerson, who's now the head coach at Houston. I think Houston might be like the playoff party crasher this year like Cincinnati was. I think Houston's got a shot this year. Daniel Holgerson, successful head coach. Tony Franklin, his offense about 10 or so years ago was all the rage. Auburn was doing some of that stuff. So he's a name that was popular for a while. Lavelle Edwards at BYU, he's a character in the book and many, many more characters that you would know and you would recognize. So I strongly recommend it if you want to learn more about the air raid that I can explain here on one podcast episode, especially if you're interested in kind of how the area has evolved over the years, again, it's called The Perfect Pass by a guy named S.C. Gwynn, G-W-Y-N-N-E. But I'm not going to dive into all that here today on this episode because that would require, I mean, a series in of itself. There's, there's too much in that book for me to sit here and go over everything in there, the evolution. We don't have time for that. So what I'm going to focus on today are more so like the conceptual underpinnings of the air raid because I think that's what's relevant to our game against Mississippi State in November. And that's also what's relevant to some of the principles within Todd Munkin's offense. And I will explain those core concepts underpinning the air raid offense right after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, we're back. So let's get to some of these concepts that really make up the core of what the air raid offense is. And I think the most basic thing to understand about the air raid is that it began with a single idea. And that idea over time developed into a series of 
interrelated, interconnected principles and concepts. And look, there are many different iterations of the air raid offense now, and every air raid attack is different in certain respects. Like the air raid offense that Dana Holgerson runs is not a carbon copy of what Mike Leach runs. What Cliff Kingsbury runs with the Arizona Cardinals is not a carbon copy of what Mike Leach runs. The version that Lincoln Riley runs now out in California, USC, is again, not a carbon copy of what I think is the purest form of air raid football today, Mike Leach at Mississippi State. But they all have a ton of similarities. They've all branched off and done kind of their own little thing, put their own little twist on it, which is what happens with football. That's what happens with innovations. But they all really have the same basic core principles that guide each of those versions of the air raid offense. So the basic idea behind the air raid is that it's really this. In order to gain an advantage in college football, especially if you are working with inferior talent, which let's be real, when the air raid offense was initially created, you know, back at Kentucky really is where it kind of took off. I guess in Valdosta State a little bit before that, those teams simply did not have the highest level of talent. That's where this idea of it being a gimmick offense came from. It's like, well, how do these players that aren't really that good that nobody else really wants, how are they putting up massive numbers against all these really talented guys? There must be something gimmick. They must be like skirting the rules, cheating some way, somehow. But really what the idea was behind all of that is that if you have inferior talent, you have to be really, really good at something. And to be really good at something, you have to be like 100% committed to it. And being committed to something in the world of football means you need to rep it. You need repetitions. And to get enough reps at something you can't have a million plays, right? If you have a million different plays, you might be able to rep each of them two or three times. But are you really experts at running those plays now when you ran two or three times in practice? Especially when you're talking about college football, we have this 20-hour rule where you only have 20 hours all week to work with your players. It's just hard to be committed to all those plays if you have this like massive playbook. So it's about committing to something. And then while you're at it, if you're going to commit to something, well, the more different that something is from the status quo, the better, because it's tougher to prepare for since it doesn't translate to what defenses prepare for every other week. And again, that's very similar to what we dealt with playing Georgia Tech when they were a triple option team. The reason that was so hard for us to defend is because we never played another team like that. Like, we didn't play anyone else who did anything like Georgia Tech. Nothing that we saw the rest of the season against every other opponent translates to what we were going to see Thanksgiving weekend when we played Georgia Tech every year. And that made it really, really hard to defend. And it's the same thing, same concept when you talk about the air raid. So that's the basic idea. Like That's where it all starts. This idea that you have to be really good at something to be really good at something, you have to commit to it. If you commit to it, that means you have to rep it so that you become so good at doing that one thing that it helps you overcome even a major talent disadvantage. And from that idea sprung these different principles that really form the core of what the air raid is. And it's really about, if you're talking about what those principles are coming out of that idea, it's really about two things. If I really want to boil it down for you, it's about two things more than anything else. It's about space and simplicity. That's an oversimplification. I will admit that. But again, we don't have time to sit here and go through every little detail of the air raid offense. But I'm trying to give you more of a general overview of, of how it works. But really, it's about space and simplicity. If you really want to get to the core of the air raid 
it's space and simplicity. Those, in my opinion, are the two guiding principles that every version of the Air Raid kind of carries with it. Every Air Raid disciple has carried with them wherever they've gone. And no matter what spin they've put on the Air Raid, they still really, really attend to those core concepts, space and simplicity. So let's break each of those down. Let's start with space here. Now, one of the conceptual underpinnings of the Air Raid is that the field is too big and there is simply too much space for a defense, especially a defense who's running some sort of zone coverage, to cover everything. But, I mean, if you go through most of the history of football, for most of its history, all that space out there in the field was not being utilized. I mean, think back. It wasn't all that long ago, guys. Like when I was growing up playing football, and like when I really started to become a major Georgia fan, you know, the Donnan years, the Rick years, all that. I mean, think back to that time, guys. What did offenses look like? Everything was tight, right? The base look was like I formation, where you've got five offensive linemen, quarterback, a tight end attached to line of scrimmage, in line there, a fullback, a tailback, and two receivers out wide, right? That was the norm. That is not the norm anymore. But back then, it was. Like my entire life growing up, that's what I played in. That's what we did. Those are the offenses that I had to defend in high school. Those are the offenses I had to defend when I was coaching years ago. That's what football was. Everything was played in a phone booth. And there was all this space out there that no one was bothering to utilize. Well, the air raid offense guys, all those guys, Mike Leach, How Mummy, they're like, well, why don't we go out here and use this space out there where nobody is? Why don't we attack that area? Doesn't it make sense to kind of attack a defense where nobody is? It's like, huh, yeah, I guess that does make a lot of sense. So the air raid offense really pioneered this idea of attacking space. You hear that all the time. Hey, get your playmakers out in space. 20 years ago, that was not a concept. You didn't get playmakers out in space. But that's what everyone wants to do now, right? You want to get Brock Bowers out in space. You want to get Lad McConkey out in space. You want to get George Pickens back in the day out in space. You want to get Kenny McIntosh out in space, right? Where does that idea come from? That's an air raid concept. And that is now universally accepted across the college football landscape, across all of football. The air raid offense started to try to make the defense cover the entire field, which no one had really ever done before. But it, here's a little bit of history for you guys with the air raid. You know, actually at first, even the air raid didn't start with four wide receivers, which is really common now with air raid offenses, but that wasn't what it looked like necessarily to start off with. The original air raid actually did have a tight end, but that was, you know, Mike Leach, one of his big innovations when he kind of branched out on his own, he left the How Mummy tree and kind of went out and did his own thing at Texas Tech. He started to experiment more with like four wide receiver sets, eventually five wide receiver sets, to the point now where the tight end position just doesn't exist in his system. They have a, a, a Y, which is typically that's the letter designated for the tight end in any kind of offense. But Mike Leach's offense, the, there's a Y, but it's not a tight end like Brock Bowers. They don't have a guy like that. That's one of his innovations. So part of the space component for most air raid offenses, and I, I, here's another example in the SEC, Arkansas, you know, the Bryles offense, Art Bryles, now Kendall Bryles, it's its own version-ish of the air raid. And one of the things that they took from the air raid is that they spread their wide receivers out further from the line of scrimmage. Tennessee does this as well. Josh Heupel is an old air raid guy from his days at Oklahoma. Don't forget, guys, Mike Leach was actually 
the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma for a short period of time there under Bob Stoops. I think it was 1999, and guess who happened to arrive at Oklahoma as a transfer in 1999? Yeah, that's right. Josh Heupel, who was the Big 12 Newcomer of the Year in 1999, and then was the Heisman Trophy runner-up in 2000, running essentially the same offense that Mike Leach had installed, the air raid offense that he had installed the previous year. So when everyone gets all hyped about Tennessee this year, and Josh Heupel, and their high-powered offense, and Hendon Hooker, they are running Josh Heupel's version of the air raid offense. And they're another team that took those principles of spacing out your, your receivers where they're basically on the sideline. That is a Mike Leach air raid concept. Again, all about attacking and creating space out there on the field. And why is that so effective? Let's break that down. Why is spacing so important? Why is spreading your receivers out, spreading your offensive linemen out, utilizing all that space in the football field why is that something that's helped these offenses be so dynamic over the years? Well, think about this. Once you get your wide receiver spread out that far in the formation where they're basically on the sidelines, you put the defense in a lot of conflict. You create stretches. That's one of the things that the air raid offense really wants to try to do. Again, every offense wants to do this now is they want to create different kinds of stretches, both vertical stretches and horizontal stretches into that space that really are designed to make it impossible for the defense to be right no matter what zone coverage they're in, as long as the quarterback and wide receiver make the correct post-snap reads. And then once the defense realizes that, well, okay, we're running zone, they're stretching us these horizontal stretches, these vertical stretches, well, so the zone defense isn't working. So what do we do? We got to go to man coverage, right? They resort to man coverage. And then Mike Leach and his other air raid disciples have concepts specifically designed to defeat man. And really one of the beautiful things about the air raid offense is that all of their past concepts they have ways to be every kind of coverage built into them. So if you call mesh, which is a play we'll talk about here in a little bit, it can absolutely destroy man coverage. And it's really designed to beat man coverage, but it has some adjustments within it that if the quarterback and receivers read zone defense, they make subtle adjustments in the middle of the play and they attack that zone defense. It, it, it truly is a gorgeous thing to watch. Unless, of course, you're team is playing defense against one of these teams trying to defend them and you're getting carved up, then it's not so beautiful. It's maddening. And these air raid offenses, they all have a number of different plays that really just allow the wide receiver to quite literally just run, just run to space within a very, very loose concept. It's like, okay, well, here's the basic concept. Here's kind of what we want you to do. But hey, it's basically backyard football out there. Go run and get open. That's what they do. Like They truly have plays like that where it's like, just go get open, man. Not many teams do that. No one used to do that. You used to have, okay, if you're running a go route, you run the go route. If you're running a seven route, you run the seven route. But not necessarily when you're talking about the air raid offense. Go out, run a space, get open. Stay in this general lane, like this side of the field, but go get open in that area, right? Especially on four verticals. Like one of the core plays, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, is four verticals. That, that, that Again, that's something that every offense in America runs today, including the Georgia Bulldogs, including Todd Munkin. But that is an air raid innovation, four verticals. But one of the things that makes four verticals so unique for Mike Leach is that he says, okay, well, you run like in, on this track, but you do what you have to do to get open within that area, within that track. And it's, it's, so it's like, yeah, you're running vertically down the field, but 
You can cut it off a little bit. You can turn a little bit this way, a little bit that way. Just get open. Play backyard football. And that's really hard to defend. You guys have all done that. You've played backyard football when you've got, when you can't really rush the passer and you've got these receivers just running around out there, like running circles and you're trying to run around, follow them. That's tough. You get tired. And that's kind of what happens with defenses out there on the field when they're facing these offenses that just have receivers running wherever they want to try to get open. So wide receiver splits, that's one way to create space in the air raid offense. But another way that air raid offenses make use of space is in their offensive line splits. Like really guys, watch some of these air raid offenses. When you're watching Mississippi State this year, trying to get ready for us to play them, you're trying to scout them out. When you watch us play them in November, look at how wide their offensive line splits are. It's crazy. That is an air raid staple. Because what they're looking at here, and this is okay, this is another Mike Leach staple. This is not one of the original parts of the air raid, like with how Mummy, when Mike Leach branched off, did his own thing at Texas Tech. This is more of one of his innovations that he brought to the table. And a lot of his guys that come from his tree, they do this as well. So when teams couldn't stop the air raid attack with zone or man coverage, what are you going to do? Well, if they're running circles around you out there, well, you just try to get after the quarterback, right? That's what they did. They resorted to dialing up pressure. And for a little while there, they were having some success getting the quarterback because it was tougher for the offense to like max protect because they had all these receivers spread out wide. They don't have as many guys there in the box. It's harder to really stop those defenders who are like dead set on rushing the pass or trying to create havoc in the backfield. So that was the defense did to try to find an answer for what they were doing, trying to create space out there. Well, Mike Leach had his own answer and his answer to all that pressure they were trying to dial up on his teams was to dramatically widen his offensive line splits. So think about this. The wider the splits are between the offensive linemen, what that does is it lengthens the space that those defenders had to rush from. So if you're an edge rusher, so let's say you're a talented defensive end, let's say you're David Pollock back in the day, right? And you're a true 4-3 defensive end. Well, you're supposed to line up on the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle, right? You're supposed to be in a five technique. Well, being in a five technique with normal splits versus being in a five technique on Mike Leach air raid offense splits is a very different thing. You're much further away from the quarterback when you're facing a Mike Leach air raid offense because their splits are so wide. And it also, not only does it make it harder to get to the quarterback because you have further to go, but it makes interior blitzers more obvious because with teams are when their offensive line splits are are that wide those interior blitzers inside linebackers kind of have to declare themselves and they, it's harder to hide so you see those guys they're more obvious and then here's another added benefit to those splits it makes it harder for defensive linemen to bat down balls I mean it really does think about like you know Stetson Bennett back in 2020 one of the first of many criticisms people had of Stetson the narrative for a while was like he's too short man like all these balls batted down. Like, what's the problem here? Well, if you have your linemen split out further from each other, the defenders are further out, it creates natural throwing lanes for shorter quarterbacks to be able to throw over the hands of those defensive linemen. Because what, what are they going to do? What, what do defensive linemen do? If, if they can't get to the quarterback, what do the coach tell them to do? Their coach put their hands up and try to bat the ball down. Well, the wider your offensive line splits are, the harder it is for them to do that because there are now more natural throwing lanes. So it tr it's so simple, like spreading your receivers out wide, spreading your linemen out further from each other with their splits. Those are such simple things. Like why didn't, it's almost like, why didn't I think of that? Like why didn't someone not think of that, about that before this air raid innovation over the past 20, 25 years? It's so simple, but it's so effective. It's truly beautiful 
in its simplicity, which is gonna segue us into our next core principle, which is simplicity. But before we get there, I do just wanna add this here real quick. One last thing I wanna talk about was space because this is what a lot of air raid offenses do. The air raid offenses that don't throw the ball exclusively like Mike Leach does. Again, Mike Leach, one of the true like remaining 100% air raid guys. What some of his disciples have done is they wanna run the football. Like Lincoln Riley loves to run the football, but he, it's still an air raid based offense. So what he does, one of his innovations and some other guys like him, it's not just Lincoln Riley who does this. Josh Heupel is another one who does a lot of this as well. One of the benefits for those offenses and spreading the receivers out so wide and get the defense spread out and utilizing all that space is it creates room for the run game. That's what Tennessee does, guys. Like it's it's a it's a numbers game for them. That's what Lincoln Riley does. It's a numbers game for them. They are counting the box. How many defenders are you putting in the box? If you're stacking the box to stop the run, then we'll swing it out wide. Watch Tennessee play, guys. You watched them play us last year. What are one of the things they like to do a lot? They like to throw that bubble route real quick out to the out to the sideline. Why do they do that? Oh, because what they've realized is they're counting the box. Oh, the demon's trying to put an extra defender in the box to stop the run. So how do we counteract that? We just throw the ball out wide and the receiver so far split out that this extra add defender in the box can't get out to him soon enough. And now you've got a, at least a couple yards out there, five, six, seven yards, if not more than that. And that's a successful play. And then if you stay out wide to defend those pass concepts, well, now you have a numbers advantage in the run game in the box because there's not as many defenders there. And what do you do? You just run the football. So that's one of the innovations that guys like Josh Heupel and Lincoln Riley have have brought to the air raid game. That's one of their adjustments, one of their little twists they put on things is they actually run the football. They use space to their advantage and just take advantage of whatever you're willing to give them, which is something that still Mike Leach has not really bought into. He still wants to throw the football every single down. But anyway, just a little side note there. Let's get to the simplicity part of this. So I think the average fan has this conception, and I did too before I started studying this. I really was the same way. But had this conception of the air raid offense as some just crazy, exotic, insanely complex scheme that just absolutely confounds defensive coordinators with all its intricacies. But the reality, guys, is that could not be further from the truth. It's actually the exact opposite that makes the air raid so effective. Again, go back to what we talked about earlier. It's about repetitions. It's based on the idea that technique and execution of a few plays are more important than having a million plays. I mean, think about this, guys. Think about all these air raid offensive coaches. Think about Lincoln Riley. Think about Josh Heupel. Think about Mike Leach. When you talk about these offensive masterminds, think about the play sheets these guys have. Look at Mike Leach on the sideline when you watch Mississippi State play. He's got like, it's not even a full sheet of paper. It's like a, a notepad piece of paper. Those are the plays that he has that he's running on any given Saturday. It's maybe 10 to 12 plays. Maybe, maybe. And they just run them over and over and over and over again. Sure, they might do it from different formations and different sets, but the plays are the exact same. It's really not complicated at all. Again, as I said earlier, the air raid is beautiful in its simplicity. That's truly what makes it so gorgeous. It's not really about coming up with 5 million formations and plays that just completely bewilder a defensive coordinator. It's more so about cold, hardcore, ruthless execution and just a mastery of a handful of relatively simple concepts. Basically, the idea is we can execute our plays 
better than defense can execute theirs. How do you overcome a talent disadvantage? You just out-execute teams. And that's really what the Air Raid is trying to do. That's where simplicity comes into the equation. So if you're like me, like I said earlier, and somewhere along the way growing up playing football, you heard an old coach say something like this. Like You had to hear this, right? You had to hear an old coach say something along the lines of, they may know exactly what's coming, but they can't stop us, right? Or run until they can stop us. And I grew up playing in an old school, I-formation, pro-set, ground-and-pound scheme. And that was the, the, the prevailing philosophy. Like we all knew, our coaches knew that everyone that we played knew what we were going to run, but we were just better than you. Like we ran those plays better than you did or better than you could stop them. And we would just out-execute you. Like we're going to run left, we're going to run right, but we're bigger and stronger than you and you can't stop us. And in some respects, a different kind of respect, that same idea applies to the air raid, just like in a little bit of a different way. Like, it's not surprising to defense coordinators what Mike Leach is going to run. Mike Leach never surprises anybody out there on a Saturday. That's not what makes Mike Leach and the air raid offense a great offense. They don't catch anyone by surprise, right? Every defense coordinator knows exactly what Mike Leach is going to run. The game plan is essentially the same going into every single game. Now, some games they might try to attack a, a specific player more than other games, whatever, but the plays are the same. But for much of his career, and I would still say now, teams have not really been able to slow his offenses down. But it's not about them just outmaning people that makes them so hard to stop either. It's that they have plays that are designed to work against any defense they face. And they've repped those small handful of plays so many freaking times that they simply just out-execute you. And they have gone to lengths to keep it simple for their players. And, uh, and again, this is where some of the, the Air Raid disciples have branched off and done their own thing and they've made their own adjustments. But, but for like Mike Leach's Air Raid offense, I mean, really, they don't flip formations. They play right-handed. What that means is the wide receivers don't have to learn two routes. They run one route every single time they run that play. And the quarterback doesn't have to learn how different wide receivers run the same route. It's just another way to keep it simple. Like what's the old saying? Keep it simple, stupid, right? It's, it's that concept. It really is just in, in football terms. So those are the two basic core principles of the air raid offense. Again, it's space and it's simplicity. Now there's other things that you can add in there. You could talk about balance. You could talk about risk reward, all those kind of things. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because really, it, if you want to boil the air raid offense down, I'll go back to it. Simplicity and space. Those two things make an air raid offense an air raid offense more than anything else. And when we come back from this last short break, I will dive into some of the actual plays that make up the air raid offense that have also become part of basically every offense in America, including Todd Munkin's Georgia Bulldogs offense. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
And we're back. Okay, let's dive into some of these plays, guys. Let's spend a few minutes here to wrap up the show talking about what air raid offenses, what Mike Leach actually runs, what are some of the things that we run that are air raid in nature. And this, again, is where I want to bring in Todd Munkin, the equation, and talk about what we do on offense. I'm not going to run through the entire playbook. I'm not going to do that, although it's not a massive playbook, but there's about 10 to 12 base plays. But I want to run through the core plays, the ones that when we play Mississippi State in November that we're going to see over and over and over again, and some of the plays that we also incorporate into our offense. And I think we've got to start with a play that I think every offense in America has in its playbook, and that is mesh. I don't know if you've heard that term. Chances are you probably have, but you might have heard that term. And maybe you know what mesh is. Maybe you know what mesh routes are. But maybe you don't. Maybe you hear them say mesh. It's one of those things when you hear a broadcaster talk about it, you hear someone say mesh, and you're like, wait, I I hear that, but what do you actually mean by that? Well, mesh is, like all these air raid concepts, a very, very simple play, all right? So with mesh, you have your X receiver and your Y receiver. In our offense, the Y receiver is usually going to be your tight end. Again, Mike Leach's Mississippi State offense, they don't really have a tight end. But let's say if you didn't have a tight end on the field, your Y could be a slot receiver like Ladd McConkie potentially, right? But you have two receivers, typically two receivers that are in the slot. It could be an inline tight end for us. You have the X and the Y are running shallow crosses. So what you might call a drag route, basically. But in the parlance of the air raid offense, they're called shallow crosses. And so those two receivers run shallow crosses in opposite directions that cross each other. Stop and think about that for a second. How many times have you seen offenses across the country, again, including Georgia, run that play where you have two receivers in the slot, could be a tight end, but two pass catchers that are crossing each other with these shallow cross drag routes. How many times have you seen that? About 5 million, right? And every time you've seen that, that is a version of mesh. Now, different offenses can run mesh differently. differently. They might have different principles, but that concept is an, a base air raid play. That's really what that is. And initially, like the, the and some of the, like Oklahoma, or I guess now USC, Lincoln Riley, he still coaches his receivers to do this. And the initial idea was you wanted, you you're trying to create rub routes is what you're trying to do if, against man coverage, but they were coached, the receivers were coached to slap hands as they passed each other. That was their indicator on how close you were supposed to be to that receiver who crossed your face on the, shot, on the shallow cross. You're supposed to basically slap hands. Like that's what you were supposed to do. And the reason for that was because you were trying to make sure there was no space between those receivers to create those rub routes. Like that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to create the rub routes against man coverage because the idea is if you're tied in, let's say Brock Bowers is running across the formation from the right and he has a defender who's trailing him in man coverage and then we're running, we're running mesh and let's say he crosses pass with Lad McConkey and they slap hands. Well, Lad McConkey is going to run into the defender that is covering Brock Bowers, and that's a perfectly legal play as long as you're in the process of running a natural route, which is what you're doing. It's a pick play, it's, or that's what defenses call a pick play, it's what offenses call rub routes. And rub routes have become very popular over the past five or six years or so, but let's go back to the origins of the air raid offense. Pick routes, rub routes, that's an air raid concept. Everyone in America does it today, but that has its origins in the air raid offense. And mesh is the premier, the original rub route play. And then if a team goes to zone coverage, let's say they're getting killed with these pick plays, with these rub routes, with man coverage against mesh, well, let's say they go to zone coverage. Well, I don't know, we just, we won't recover in a man like that. So this play is not going to work. Well, you know what? 
They have an answer for it with Mesh. What they do, they coach receivers to read the defense, and they coach the quarterback to read the defense. Are they in man or are they in zone? It, what kind of zone they're in doesn't really matter. It's are they in man or are they in zone? If they're in zone, what the receivers are told to do once they read that is to sit down in that zone. Stop running your route. If, the, if it's man coverage, you just run your route all the way to the sideline until you get that ball or until the ball is thrown. If it's zone and you're running mesh, the receivers are coached. When, once they cross pass, you have to cross pass, but then you sit down where there's open space, right? Backyard football, run to space. And it's just, it's almost, it, it is, it's impossible. If you can't get pressure on the quarterback, it's really impossible to stop mesh. Like they're going to complete the pass. Now, can you stop them from a, for a minimal gain? Sure. But mesh has become so popular because it is so difficult to stop because there's an answer for man coverage or zone coverage. And if you think about the players that we have at tight end this year, now we, we all know that we have I, I, what I think is the best tight end room in America. Todd Munkin knows this too. And Todd Munkin did a fantastic job last season of really incorporating plays into our offense that featured our best playmakers. And obviously our best playmaker last year was Brock Bowers. And he found a way to utilize that guy. And a lot of the ways he used him was using some of these air raid principles. We ran mesh, not, I wouldn't say we ran mesh a ton, but we ran mesh plenty of times last year. Why would you not when you have a guy like Brock Bowers, you have a guy like Darnell Washington, you have guys like John Fitzpatrick this year with a Reek Gilbert in the mix. Can you imagine having a, a 12 personnel set where you have tight ends in line opposite each other, or they can be, they can be flexed out in the slot either way. And you got... Brock Bowers on one side, Arik Gilbert or Darnell Washington on the other side, and you're running mesh with those guys against big personnel because they have to. If we're in 12 or 13 personnel, defense have to respond with heavier run stopping defensive personnel, and those guys simply cannot keep up with Arik Gilbert or Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington in space. So we could run mesh all day long and just slice opponents to death. And we did it at times last year, and that's something I really look to see us do more of this year because. It, it doesn't even matter what the personnel is. Even with just average personnel, mesh is almost impossible to stop. But when you have dudes like that that create matchup advantages like we're going to be able to create with our tight ends, that just adds another layer of impossibility to stop. So mesh is a big one. That's a huge one. But let's go to another one here. Uh, let's go to some of these flood concepts. Let's talk about why sail and why cross. Now, again, why in the Mike Leach offense does not mean tight end. In our offense, why usually means tight end. Because with our tight ends, we have... That we're gonna we're gonna have them on the we're gonna have at least a tight end on the field at all times most of the time I'd say at least half the time probably multiple tight ends on the field so why in our offense would be a tight end so why sail and why cross why sail is more of a zone beater it can work fine against man coverage again all these plays in the air raid offense have man beaters and zone beaters built into them but why sail is more designed to be a zone beater and really what why sail is it's a, it's a strong side flood route. And with flood routes, if you've heard that term, like if you've played Madden or you've played insulate football and you see like, hey, like 90, why 93 flood? What flood means is you're flooding a zone. You're trying to put more receivers into a, an area of the zone coverage than there are defenders. So you're trying to put, say if there's two defenders, let's say it's a cover two and on one side of the field you have the cornerback who has the flat and then you have the safety who has the deep responsibility right behind the cornerback so you have two defenders over there in that area two zone defenders well with a flood play you want to put three receivers in that area so now those two defenders have to make a choice there's going to be one receiver open you're trying to flood that route have more receivers than there are defenders in that zone coverage and so why sail and why cross are examples of flood plays flood routes and with Y sale, your outside receiver is going to run 
a vertical route of some sort. It could be a go route, it could be like a, a deep skinny post, but gonna run a vertical route of some sort, all right? Then your slot wide receiver is going, and it, it, it could be a number of different options. It could be a slot wide receiver, it could be a running back, it could be a receiver coming in motion at the snap that's in motion, moving while the ball is being snapped. So there's different ways you can do it, but you have a receiver who's running a short flat route, okay? So you have your outside receiver is running a vertical route of some sort, and then you have a receiver who is running a short flat route, and then your Y, which in our case is a tight end, and we run this play, guys, we run this play quite a bit, is running a corner route. We ran this play against Tennessee. It was a play that Bowers... Uh, I actually think it was called incomplete. It looked like he kind of tapped his toe and I thought he was in, but they said he was juggling the ball. I still think it was a completed pass, but whatever. Maybe right before the half that was, I want to say. But we that was a play that was almost a big play for us. We ran that quite a few times. Again, it wasn't like the base play that we run, but we ran that play plenty, against, especially against zone coverages. And if you read it out this way, so let's say you have this one receiver going vertical, one receiver in the flat, and then one receiver running a corner route. So what you're doing is you're creating two different kinds of stretches. You're creating a vertical stretch and a horizontal stretch. And why sail, the, the read it creates, the stretch it creates more than anything is a high-low read. So what you're typically gonna do here is you're gonna read high-low between the Y running that corner route and the flat route, if, especially if it's cover two. If it's cover two and you have the cornerback sitting there, the cornerback's gotta make a decision. Does he jump on the flat route? If he does that, then the corner route behind him should be open. If he sits back and takes that corner route, then that flat route is going to be open. Somebody's going to be open in cover two. It's all about reading it. And again, this is something that we did run last year. And I think this is something that we could run even more this year, especially when you throw a Reed Gilbert in the mix to get a healthy Darnell Washington, hopefully, knock on wood, a healthy Darnell Washington back. If we're in, like, we talk about 12 and 13 personnel, especially 13 personnel, if you get a defense that has to respond with heavy run-stopping personnel against 13 personnel looks, you don't have to run a running back into the flat. You don't have to run a slot receiver to the flat. You could have 13 personnel. You have two inline tight ends, one on either side, and then you have like a wing tight end. The wing tight end runs into the flat. You have A.D. Mitchell out wide running a go route, and you have Brock Bowers running the corner route there. And you are putting the defense in all sort of conflicts. And I didn't see us do too much of it that way last year. But with the types of tight ends that we have at our disposal this year, that's absolutely something that I could see us do. I've seen other teams do that. I expect this, honestly, to see more looks like that this season. So that's why sale. Now, the next one here that's also a flood route is called Y cross. And this is basically weak side flood. So why sail is more of a strong side flood where you're attacking the strong side. Why cross is attacking the opposite side. Now this time, the X receiver is running the vertical route, which he's the outside receiver on the other side, right? He's running the vertical route. And then your running back is running a short option route. What I mean by option route is basically a stick route where the running back or the receiver, whoever's running the option route, they basically are just reading the defender. And they're reading the leverage of that defender. If the defender has like your inside shoulder, then you're going to option out to the to the outside. If they if they take your outside shoulder, you're going to option to the inside. It's really hard to stop because you're taking whatever the defense is giving you. And option routes have become it's another thing, another principle that have it's kind of proliferated itself throughout all levels of football, high school, college, and NFL. It's become a major play. We have these like especially slot receivers, quick little shifty slot receivers. 
that have kind of taken over football, like Tyreek Hill in the NFL, right? Guys like that. One of the reasons you've seen slot receivers become the top receivers in the NFL in college football is because they can run option routes. They get a matched up on guys in the slot. It could be a linebacker, could be a star defender who's typically not your best cover corner. And these slot receivers are so quick, so shifty, so twitchy in space that whatever the defense tries to do to stop them, where you try to take their inside leverage, outside leverage, they have an answer for it. And they're so quick, they're almost impossible to stop. Again, if it's read right and the quarterback has time to throw it. We ran a bunch of option routes with Brock Bowers last year, basically using him the same way that teams like the Chiefs used, used to use Tyree Kill, or let's say Clemson used to use a guy like Hunter Renfro, or the way that Florida used Kadarius Toney in 2020. Todd Munkin saw that we had a playmaker, a different kind of playmaker, a tight end, but a playmaker like that at tight end, and defense had to have bigger person on the field to defend us because we could run the ball right at them. And those defenders, if we ran option routes with Brock Bowers, they had no chance to stop that guy. And we ran option routes quite a bit with Brock Bowers. We ran quite a bit, actually game one, as early as game one against Clemson, we were running option routes where he was just optioning off of whatever the defender was doing and whatever leverage the defender was taking and trying to cover him. But an option route in general, is 100% an air raid concept. But back to wide cross. So you have your outside receiver running a vertical route on the backside of the play, on the weak side. You have your running back. Typically running the flat, it's technically an option route, but typically those routes are going to break to the outside because the the defense, more often than not, is going to take inside leverage. So you have a running back running into the flat, and then you have your wide receiver, or in our case, our tight end, running a 22-yard crossing route across the field. He wants to run it at a depth of 22 yards. And it creates essentially the same kind of stretch that Y sale runs. It just does a little bit differently and attacks the weak side as opposed to the strong side. Because again, you're gonna have a vertical route, you're gonna have a route in the flat, and instead of a corner route, you have a crossing route. So it takes a little bit longer of a time to develop, but that crossing route basically ends up at the end of the day in the same area of where the corner route would in Y sale. So it's a very similar type read, just to the weak side and using some slightly different routes. So those are some big ones, especially trying to stop zone defense or attack zone defense with flood routes. And then I mentioned this earlier, four verticals was, is the play that everyone runs. Like Again, go back to your days of playing Madden or NCAA football. You run that Hail Mary play, right? How many of you We'll call Hail Mary on like first down and just run around and just throw the ball up to your receivers and try and hope to God that one gets it, right? I did that all the time. Well, four verticals is an air raid concept, 100%. It's one of like the original air raid plays. It's one of Mike Leach's grand contributions to the air raid offense once he kind of stepped out on his own. And it's, again, it's kind of like backyard football. It really is. It's kind of a read it on the run type play. Your four wide receivers, the four players going vertical, could be receivers, could be tight ends, could be running backs, but your four players going vertical, they are given landmarks, all right? So the coach tells them, all right, when your route's all done, I want you to end up here. Now, how you get there is up to you, and that's where the backyard football part of this comes in. You, they're given a lot of freedom to just get open as long as they get to that landmark at the end of the play and stay in that vertical lane. They're just running to open grass, and that makes it really hard to defend in man coverage because you don't know where the receiver's going. He's just running around trying to get open. Again, think about you playing backyard football back in the day. Maybe if you have kids playing backyard football with your kids or watching your kids play backyard football. If guys just run around randomly in circles, it's hard, man. It's hard to defend, especially if the quarterback has time. And then if you go to zone defense, try to stop it. When you cover three for a long time, like Nick Saban, you know, back when he was a defensive coordinator in, in the NFL for a while, he 
really loved cover three because what cover three allowed you to do is you could get an extra defender in the box. You bring one of those safeties down the box at the snap, but you still have that kind of structural integrity against the pass. You have three deep defenders. You basically are dividing the back end of the defense into thirds, and each of those deep defenders is responsible for a third. Well, Mike Leach saw that. He saw what people like Nick Saban were doing, using cover three to try to stop the run game and also stay pretty stout against the pass. He said, well, okay, well, I'm just going to flood your zone. So if you have three deep defenders that are out there dividing the deep zones into thirds, well, I'm just going to run four receivers vertically down the field. You can't cover all of them. You have three guys back there. Sure, you can take away three of my receivers running vertical routes. One of them is going to be open. Pick your poison. Decide who's going to be open. And Mike Leach would just devastate teams with a play that's so simple. You're just running vertically down the field. But teams had a really hard time stopping because man wasn't working. Cover three, which was their answer, kind of stopping the run and stopping the, the vertical passes, wasn't working against four verticals. And they had to try to evolve and create new ways to stop it, which is now why you see a lot of quarters defense, which allows you to basically divide the deep zones into, into quarters, into fourths. So that's another one, another popular play for verticals that literally every single offense at every single level of football has within its playbook and that comes from the air raid tree. And the last play that I'm gonna go over here today, and there's, there's, there's more, but again, I'm not gonna go over every single play. I wanna talk about the tunnel screen or the jailbreak screen. It goes by many names, but it's the same concept. And what do I mean by tunnel screen, jailbreak screen? This is where you have a receiver who's looping at the snap. He's kind of looping back behind line of scrimmage, catching the ball behind line of scrimmage, which is key because with jailbreak screen or tunnel screen, whatever you want to call it, you have offensive linemen releasing down the field to block for this receiver at the snap. So he has to catch the ball behind line of scrimmage, and then he has blockers ahead of him there. This is another play that I know all of you who watch college football as intently as you do have seen 5 million times, but no one ever saw that play before Mike Leach in the air raid offense. Mike Leach today, still with Mississippi State, runs a ton of screens. Now he's kind of expanded his screen game, but still the, the jailbreak, the tunnel screen is probably his core screenplay still today. There's other screens they have involved, but those screenplays where you get blockers out in front of the receiver when he catches the ball behind the line of scrimmage, were really difficult for defenses to stop because they'd never seen it before. And it really hurt teams that were trying to dial up the blitz. Remember I told you guys earlier, one of the things that defenses tried to do to stop these air raid offenses was to dial up pressure, right? Well, line splits, widening those was one way to, to kind of counteract the pressure defenses are trying to get on the quarterback. But another thing that Mike Leach decided to do was, hey, I'm going to use their aggressiveness against them. I'm gonna invite them upfield to rush a passer like that, and then we're not even gonna try to block them. We're not even gonna try to block them. We're just gonna throw the ball right over their heads, and then we're gonna have linemen out in front of that receiver to block the guys in the second and third level, and now we have a huge play in our hands, and we're using their aggressiveness against us. It's just a counter to the counter of what the defenses were trying to do to stop these air raid offenses. And this is something that we use quite a bit with Brock Bowers, especially last year. We ran screens more last year than I had seen us run maybe in the past 10 years combined. And the recipient of most of those screens, not all of them, but most of them was Brock Bowers. And I'm gonna give you a classic example here. So talk about tunnel screen, jailbreak screen, whatever you wanna call it. We ran that exact play against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Now it was late in the game, it was like it's the third quarter, we were down big. But remember the play that Brock Bowers caught in that screen and then he ran over about three or four Alabama defenders in route to the end zone, scoring that touchdown late in the game? That was jailbreak screen. That was tunnel screen. 
That was an air raid play that Todd Munkin realized that with our personnel, we could really hurt teams with, and he incorporated it into our offense. So when you call the air raid offenses gimmick, I want you to think about that for a second in the future. Is it really a gimmick? Because if it's a gimmick, then our offense is a gimmick because every offense in America might not be a full-on air raid offense, but they have air raid principles built all throughout these offenses. Whether it's rub routes, whether it's mesh, whether it's four verticals, whether it's flood routes, Y sail, Y cross, whether it's jailbreak screens, screens in general, all of those things have their origin in the air raid offensive scheme. So yeah, when I say that, I think you make a really strong argument that the air raid offense is the single greatest offensive innovation of the past 25 or so years. That's why. That's what I'm talking about because everyone in America does it to some degree at all levels of football in 2022. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Gore UJ podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I think the air raid offense is fascinating to watch and it's just grown so much and it's all throughout college football, every Saturday, almost every game, you're going to see air raid stuff. And every time you watch us play, you're going to see air raid offense stuff. So I thought that'd be a fun topic for today. Hope you guys got something out of that. If you have any questions, please, again, don't be a stranger. Don't hesitate. Hit, hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram. Just look for glory UGA podcast. And I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about this stuff or any other scheme stuff. And speaking of questions about scheme related topics, Send those questions in. We have one more scheme theme episode coming up for you guys next week. It's hard to believe, but the month of June is almost over, which is great because, I mean, football is closer. It's just around the corner. And our last episode is going to be a scheme theme mailbag. We did that last year. I want you guys to be able to ask whatever questions you have from a scheme standpoint. I, I've picked out a couple of topics for you guys this month, but I know there's a lot more things out there to talk about, and I'd love to hear what things you actually want us to cover on the show. So we'll do that next week. So send those questions, anything scheme related, hit us up. Don't be shy. Let us know, and we will cover it here on the podcast next week. But thank you guys for listening. Curtis will be back with me later on this week for another mailbag edition of the show. So make sure to check back then. But for now, I'm out of here. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.